0: good versus evil evil evil
1: Evil. welcome back to good versus evil what you are about to hear is a comedy program good versus evil
2: it is not meant to be taken seriously
1: as always on the good side of things
2: and i am the evil side john batch john batch this is good versus evil Ladies and gentlemen,
1: welcome back to Good versus Evil, the bonus episode! Pew, pew, pew. This is a comic discussion of the end times. As always, on the good side of things, David Steves.
2: And I am the evil side, John Batch.
1: And ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to bring to you tonight a Grand Rapids comic. He's got an album. He disc golfs. He's incredible.
2: He also holds a day job. As a scouter for high school football, because clearly, David, they they aren't ready to let him into college yet.
1: Give it up for the Grand Rapids Rose Battle Champion, Alan True.
3: Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, hey Alan, how's, how's going, it going? Man? Going well. Feel good, Excellent, deal.
1: dude. Thank you so much for joining today. We appreciate it.
3: Yeah, man, no problem. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. And I was just telling John, I was like, man, I don't know a lot about Alan. So this is going to be a fun interview.
3: <laughs> yeah, ask me whatever. I don't I have nothing that I won't talk about.
1: That's super cool. Actually, the first time I've actually saw you perform was uh, you warmed up the funniest person in Grand Rapids. Now, that's a contest you've done really well in before, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think I got second one year and then I got tired of inviting people out. what the results kind of slid back and they're like you know all my friends i gotta pay 10 bucks for this horse shit again so
1: (laughs) (laughs) my friend's like man it's getting expensive supporting you
3: exactly and and you never win the you never win the big money so why are we why do we keep coming out (laughs) right
2: (laughs) so are you do i mean do you enjoy competitions in that sense
3: then or, or are they a pain in the ass for for your money what do you i mean i think they're kind of a pain are we are we going is this going yeah now?
2: we just we just kind of uh, yeah we just kind of go roll right right, into right, it.
3: right in go wrong I mean, with it. listen you got to have the right perspective on these things like they it's stage time they were all good experiences for me coming up um if you're trying to win them especially one like that where it's like audience participation type vote then i don't think you can you know then then that starts to become kind of a pain but when I was early, early in my career, I was like, I really want to win these things. And then the older I got, the more I was like, I just want to be on stage and this is fun. And the audiences are always good at those things as people, they're bring our shows so people gonna have the audience packed. And so it's fun to be around the other comics and stuff, but they're not. Contests aren't my favorite. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> yeah, That's
3: I'm funny. getting there too.
1: <laughs> I'm like, I hope I get a good clip out of this.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, actually, when I warmed up that night, it was because I screwed something up on my album. And I wanted to re record something. So I just I was like, hey, when's the next time I can get on stage there?
2: That's great. That's awesome. So you do, I mean, I know you've, you've, uh, your album has not come out yet, correct? Uh, no, or, it's out. Or, it is out. Yeah. It is out. out. Yeah. It is out. Yeah. Okay. See, this is why I, I don't rely on David to do my research for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was it? What was the the name of the album again?
3: Uh, Alan? A Cry for Help. I don't That's do a great right. job of promoting it, to be okay. honest. But
2: <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, first of all, I mean, how, how was that experience recording an album? Was that I mean, was that um, cathartic in a sense of I, I finally got it all down on uh, it, it and it, it's out there? Or, uh, how was that experience?
3: Yeah, it was good. I mean, it was like I've been doing comedy for almost 10 years at that point, and I had never really wanted to put out an album. I think um, every time I was about to, I would listen to my material and go, hey, you're not ready. And then it, you know, then it dawned on me like 10 years in that I'm never going to think that my material's ready. So I might as well do this, put this down. Maybe it'll allow me to retire some of this stuff now that it's down
0: on, uh,
3: <laughs> on album. And it was almost done for myself and like for my kids to someday be able to hear what their dad did and just have like a, have it on record, have a history of it more so than I was trying to do anything more than that with the album. Uh, it did end up Spending a couple of days, number one on the iTunes chart though, so I got that screenshot that I can keep for the rest of my life. Nice. Uh, it was, just, but you know, it's to be honest, it's like one of those weeks where no comedy albums are coming out, and I think number two was the Essential Weird Al Yankovic, was it, which had been out since like
0: 1999. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That was an iconic album, though you can't you can't compare yourself to that.
3: Yeah, apparently, that it's time. still doing numbers, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> doing all right. Yeah. Well, that's like the Metallica Black album still sells in the top one hundred every year, and they're like that came out like ninety <laughs> yeah. one.
3: Every now and then, I'll look on the iTunes chart, and like Beatles One will be on there, and I'm like, Good lord, what's going on? <laughs>
2: What was the, I mean, so what was that experience? I mean, how did you choose the venue? How did you choose, you know, where and when and and, and all of that?
3: Dr. Grin's kind of felt like the right place because that's where I came up at. Uh, it all, they also gave it to me for free. So no matter what <laughs> nice. I nice. that was a, that was a driving force. And so they could also get the amount of people in there that I was, I mean, all my friends and family were going to come. So I didn't, I didn't want to have to shut anybody out that wanted to be there. And then I didn't know anything about it. So Nardos Osterhart had recorded her album there uh, a couple months before me. So I leaned on her. She gave me the information for her sound guy and all that. But it was kind of like a last minute deal. Um, Had to find, you know, asked a couple of great people to open. Nardos did it. Michael Bustler did it. Matt Lauria emceed. Um, And those people were just people who were around on a Wednesday who I thought would do a really good job, which they did.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, they're all fan favorites out there in Grand Rapids now. Um, so John and I both got into comedy because of tragedies. Um, but you seem like you live a really good life. Like, what happened? How did you get into comedy? Like, how did that get started?
3: Yeah, so yeah, sometimes I feel bad. I hear these comic stories and I'm like, oh, I, I have had it kind of easy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I always loved stand-up comedy. It's just something, even as a kid, um, my grandparents had HBO and when I was over there while my parents were working, they didn't pay attention to anything that I did. So I was watching Eddie Murphy on there. Um, the Howie Mandel special really early kind of caught my attention. And then the older I got, I was like, I should do this. And I kept, Dr. Grins used to let you in when you were 18. That was a big difference. So my senior year of high school, I saw a show with Dr. Grins. And that was the moment that the seed really got planted of like, I'm gonna do this. And then at Grand Valley, I went to Grand Valley, they had last Lakers standing. So I, signed, I was gonna do it one year. Uh, I ended up having to go away for something missed it and so I I got really got two years to prep for that did it my senior year won the contest and that from that moment was like I'm this is this is going to happen so the guy who emceed that the finals was a guy named Pete Dominic, who is uh, he's now on CNN and at the time he was warming up the Colbert Report that's that was his gig Um, and so he said hey why don't you come out to New York sometime and if you really want to do this i'll bring you around to the clubs and he probably thought i'll never hear from this kid again and i showed up on spring break i drove out to new york and he took me to a taping of that colbert report he got me on stage at the laugh factory in new york city and this is like the third time i've ever done stand-up so i've done it twice at grand valley in the contest at this point. point third time ever doing stand-up i'm on i'm in Times square or wherever that was laugh factory
1: it's a bit of a jump
3: and, uh, <laughs> right daryl hammond was on that show Tina Fey was there. I was like sweating wow. bullets. Um, Doing shots before that, which I now know is a bad idea.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, you're like, oh my God, well, Tina Faye.
3: my jokes are inside jokes about Grand Valley at this point. <laughs> so my whole material is like, hey, don't you guys hate it when you're walking across that damn bridge on campus and it's all New York City people sitting there? So. <laughs> and they're like, which bridge? The GW, the frog's neck? <laughs> <Yeah. I'm> like, <laughs> no, 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 the ravines, man. Like, so. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So that was, yeah, no, the only, no, the only tragedy was bombing in New York city, but no other, no other real tragedy.
1: I mean, that happened at such a young age though. I mean, what is it like getting that experience in the big apple? Like while you're still in college, like how, how did that, how did that uh, create your comic voice or help mentor your comic
3: voice? Yeah. So at that point, I think you're so naive that you don't even know, you know, I had no idea to no, know anything. Cause you know, it came back and people started saying you should try to MC and I was like, what does that mean? you know, uh, you know, you could middle, like, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. You don't know anything about it. And I'm thinking like, well, this is comedy's easy. I just went from Grand Valley to the lap factory in two steps. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be in Vegas in six months. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a moment of like, am I like on the path to making it? Like it was, you, you know, then, and then you get, you get punched in the face a little bit. Um, but it was good to see. I mean, the idea of what he was doing was taking me around because before that we had gone to like the cellar. I hadn't gotten on in any, any of these places, but he got took me around all these places to kind of show me what it was like. And once I came back and soaked it all in, I was like, okay, now I kind of get what comedy is like in a big city. But it wasn't until I got around and started doing open mic at Dr. Grins and uh, the early, actually it was on the very first Sunday Night Funnies that they ever did. It was at some like- restaurant or an art gallery in Douglas and wow uh, yeah that was the first the first one they ever did so you started to go to some of those things and realize that um you know a campus full of people who are your friends who get all the inside jokes that you're telling that's uh, that's pretty easy and uh, this is a little bit harder so it almost, that, I mean, I, the last Lakers standing experience almost kind of ruined comedy at the start for me because I thought it was always going to be like that, and then I got out there in the real world and uh, realized pretty quick that's not the case.
2: <laughs> so, Alan, you, you, as you mentioned, you've been uh, around, especially in the, in the Grand Rapids scene for for a minute. Um, what are the, the big things that you've seen that have uh, changed in the scene? And It uh, seems like there's been a lot of, of growth in the scene, certainly. Um, and, and what are the, some of the things that, that maybe have stayed the same that you're like, you know, maybe these are kind of the things we'd like to see start changing.
3: Yeah. Um, so first, I mean, there's just so many more opportunities to get on stage, right? Back then Dr. Grin's open mic was one of the few things Sunday night funnies was maybe the next thing to come in and sort of give you a chance. But back then, if you had material you wanted to work out or you were just new and wanted to open mic and try it out. Doctor Grin's, I think, was the only place you could do that. Now it's like any, you know, you can go down to Mulligan's, you can do Make It Spicy, you can do Tip Top, you can do, um, you know, River Pub. Well, yeah, I can just keep naming off all of these, right? So that didn't; those all didn't exist before. Garage Bar, all this stuff. The scene's also expanded into like, I mean, we're doing. There's Laugh Fest here now. Never would have thought that would happen. When I was coming up, and the group that I was coming up with, so that was like me, Daggy. Matt Lauria, uh, DK Hamilton was in that at the time. We all kind of started around the same time. And the biggest thing that we all talked about is like, when is one of us gonna get booked to feature a Dr. Grant? So it was like, as soon as that ever happens, we're all, that's like the Holy Grail. We're just done with comedy. Uh, and it took forever. I really thought like we, at one point we thought like they're never gonna feature a Grand Rapids comic. And now there's a bunch of them that do this. you know, people headlining that thing Um, And so I think that's changed. I think that the scene has uh, gained some respect, definitely. Um, Things that have stayed the same that I I want to change. I don't know that, that I would change too much. I think we have a good thing going. I think that it's the right size for the size of city this is. And honestly, and I'm not saying this just because some of them might be listening to this i think we got a really good group of comics in grand rapids especially for not being a place that gets talked about a ton as like a comedy hub
2: yeah i, I would i would 100 uh agree with that that's we um i mean i, I think we're going to continue to to grow as as well and i i think i mean the, the city itself is expanding right so um i i think that's one of the things that's exciting to me is is to to look towards the future and, and see what you know, what could be next for as the city expands, the, the scene is going to expand as well. And, and so I'm, I'm excited to see uh you know what what that what that looks like. Um now I, I know you use as well and you obviously um you know like like all of us have, have a day job you know we, we gotta pay the bills somehow, right? Comedy doesn't do it. Um you are you're an analyst, right? For um is it um is it is it 24-7 sports now? Is that
3: yeah, right. Yeah, so I'm a football recruiting analyst and scout. So I travel around the Midwest and find high school players and write about the best high school players that are gonna go off and play college football so right. been doing that since high school if you can believe that so I was doing oh, this before comedy I've had two <laughs> jobs my whole life I've worked I've been a football scout and I worked at an Italian restaurant when I was in high school those are the only two jobs I've ever had
2: <laughs> so I and I I know it's 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 different uh because this is not I mean it's we're t- talking going college into the pros but the 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 NFL draft is this week um do you have any, any thoughts on that, especially with our, our beloved Lions? I mean, what, if, if you're the Lions, what's your strategy right now?
3: Oh, man. The strategy is just don't screw it up.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've wow, sent this
1: that's screenshot. what? Eight wide receivers in eight years? No?
3: I've sent this screenshot to my friends, right? Like, if you go on Wikipedia and you look up the first round of all of the drafts, it'll color code guys who have been all, like, in the Pro Bowl and guys who are in the Hall of Fame, and it colors them in tan, okay? And if you look at the Lions draft pick in the first round, there's tan all around them, and they're the only white box. Oh. And, like, and like, I'm telling you, God. it is uncanny. I'll send you the screenshots because I send them to my friends to torture them. It's like all of these, all of these hall of famers and pro bowlers, the lions pick Mike Williams or somebody. And then it's like <laughs> hall of famers and pro bowlers, like after that, for like six picks it's every uh, year, it's unbelievable. Oh, that's
1: So are you that's a right. big lions fan then?
3: I'm not, I'm a Steelers fan. Oh, so you, so. you've had really good years. I have. I mean, I've had two Super Bowl wins in my lifetime, which is good enough for me. Like that's, that's that's good. You know, we're kind of. I don't know what's gonna happen here. We're kind of at a crossroads with Big Ben, and is he, he's kind of the wheels are falling off a little bit here. So we'll see what happens there. But I have. I, I've had more success. Like especially with. Like I said, I'm surrounded by Lions fans. So anytime I complain about, like, oh man, Steelers are like nine and seven again. They're like, shut the hell <laughs> up. <laughs>
1: They're like, we hate you, Alan, man. <laughs> yeah, I
3: know
1: they have. I mean, you guys are John. What are you guys still waiting for a playoff berth? Or
2: yeah, I mean, <laughs> have you even seen a playoff berth? Not in in what? Probably. It's Barry Sanders? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. No, it's it's been rough. So yeah, thanks thanks for uh, I was gonna say thanks for bringing that up, Alan. But really, I brought it up. So that's on me. That's that is on right. you. Uh, <laughs> I forgot the one playoff. he? there
3: was one playoff game in there.
2: Yeah, I believe it was. Well, I want to say ninety
1: three and ninety four. I think they've had one yeah, since they, then. I think they,
3: they've yeah, they've a,
2: had. Uh, oh. they played one playoff game. One. Uh, yeah, I mean, because it, it was. Um, oh, I? I can't remember the the guys it was before. The guy before Patrician, I can't think of his name off. Offhand. Jim Caldwell. Not, Jim, Jim Caldwell went to right? one. Yeah, he went to one. Right. one playoff. Right. One playoff game. And and uh, choked. So, um, yeah. No uh we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes this this time but i he also choked in a super bowl if it makes you happy with the bears that, but that's fine that's, <laughs> it, it does it doesn't it doesn't make me happy it but doesn't. thank you uh, <laughs> so
1: alan when you say you have to travel all over the midwest so what are the main states that you have to hit and are there certain high schools um so i i'm not from this area i'm from uh, upstate new york so there's certain high schools that are like just a hotbed of activity for division one recruiting and, and which ones are those?
3: Oh yeah, so major metropolitan areas for sure. Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis, it was just in Cleveland this past weekend, Minneapolis, St. Louis, those are like the main cities right there. Not necessarily, it's not necessarily always just which high schools, cause there's so many high schools, it's hard for us to go to all of them. So usually we go to camps or events, or kids from, so I went from high school to high school to high school. I'd never get off the road. right? right? So there are some high schools that are be- better than others, and I'll go see them in the fall when they play in games. A lot of it is, you know, especially around West Michigan and over in Cleveland where it just was, a lot of them are the Catholic schools because they're able to kind of bring in kids from different parts, right? Public school most of the time, unless, you know, now there's it's a little bit different with schools of choice, but you're kind of giving the kids that you're like me when I played high school football, you're playing with your friends that you played third grade football with. It's not really the case at some of these other schools where they're bringing in kids from, you know, all over the County or wherever they're allowed to gerrymander their <laughs> recruiting lines.
1: I like how they give out high school scholarships. Like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's some of
3: that going on. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but there's some of that going on.
1: <laughs> now, what positions do you play in uh, high school?
3: I was a quarterback growing up, played a couple other positions, but yeah, I played quarterback back growing up. And uh, if you doubt that at all, there's a couple, there's a couple clips in the Deggie draft room of me throwing the football from other, other years.
1: Oh man, that's awesome. That probably leads into why you're so good at, so I I played disc golf today and I know you and I have commented before back and forth on disc golfing. So how did that come about? How did you get into disc golfing? And uh, (laughs) is there any possibilities for you making a run deeper with disc
3: golfing? Okay, so I played Ultimate Frisbee competitive, pretty competitively in like leagues and stuff. And people were always confusing the two things. So every Christmas, my, fr- my family would buy me disc golf discs. And I'm like, no, this is not, <laughs> this is not what I'm doing. This is something completely <laughs> different. So I had these discs sitting around, okay. And we have our second child and she just didn't sleep at all. It was brutal. The only way wow. we could get her to sleep is to drive her around in our van. So this is like weeks of not sleeping. Um, I'm, I'm pretty fed up and my wife's Like one day, my wife's like, take her out, drive her around and get her to sleep. And I drove around and she fell asleep right by the disc golf course here. So I pulled in and I was sitting there to let her sleep and I was watching people walk through the woods in silence. And I was like, there we go. That's what I'm going to do in tomorrow <laughs> by myself. <laughs> I'm coming out here with those discs that my brother-in-law bought me thinking that that's what I've been doing for eight years. So <laughs> I picked it up and, it was, and then I thought it was like gonna be like throwing an ultimate disc and it's not. So it, I sucked at first. I have my scores from when I first started and I still play the same course. So it's been cool to see, you know, I think I was plus 24 the first time I played that course. I was minus three on that course two days ago. Wow. So I'm getting there. I don't know if I wanna to play tournaments, like you said, taking it further. I mean, people are really damn good. And I don't know if I want to be, I don't know if I can get that good for one thing, because I don't have the time to get that good. And then the idea of playing like an all day tournament, like I barely get the wife leash to go play around every now and then. Now I don't know if I'm, <laughs> gonna be, like, I'm going to be gone for six hours playing in this tournament and I'm going to place 40th and not bring back any prize money. I don't know that that's in the cards at the moment.
1: Yeah, that is a downside to it. So I just picked up disc golf and I did do a tournament last year after like, uh, only disking for like two or three months. Cause my buddy was in it and he's pretty good. He's like, no, dude, you should come do the disc thing. And I was like, all right. And I went and I was so bad. They made me play with the kids, um, <laughs> on the second round, but jokes on them. They taught me a lot of cool stuff. So I went from like shooting like an 80 something down to like a 64. So I was pretty happy they, about that. Yeah.
3: It, and my, you know what's humbling too is my son's friend is like a, is eight and he's like a world champion oh, and this, this little Jesus, kid God. would just kick my ass. I look at his sport' <laughs> like, It's unreal and so it's it's super humbling especially like you said coming from other sports where I yeah. thought like it's pretty good at football, pretty good at ultimate frisbee, pretty good at these. I want to be pretty good at this and people have you seen where PDGA membership is just up like The curve has just gone like this during it's a lot of fun it is a lot of fun but people are catching on and so the other thing that i do is i play pickleball and so those two things have increased in popularity so much during covid that every time i show up to the disc golf course and there's like forty-five other cars, and I gotta wait on the tee pad for these guys with their carts, these roller carts. And they're and they're like every time I'm trying to drive, and there's these these dudes are sitting there on the tee pad in front of me smoking, and I'm like, dude, come on, I got places to be. And the same thing when I can't get a pickleball court, I'm like, damn it, Corona, everybody caught on to my hobbies. <laughs> like,
2: dang it, Corona. So you're you're a a pretty athletic guy, Alan. I mean, is there any? sport that you would say there's no way in hell i would ever want to try that or or um or any any sport that uh, of that nature or maybe something that you haven't tried yet yet that you'd like to get into
3: real golf i'm brutal at real golf just terrible i don't have the patience for it for one thing and I don't, something about the motor control of hitting that little ball i've tried it it could also be that i've every time i've tried it, i've been drunk at a bachelor party so maybe i should try it on a normal day but i don't have a lot of interest in that no that, like that's
1: it, pretty much seems how it like goes. It costs
3: money yeah, yeah, right. Seems like it costs a lot of money. It seems like it's moderately oppressive towards minorities. Uh, there's it's just like all kinds of reasons to not. Yeah, you you raised your eyebrows, but you don't see a lot of people that look like me out on the out on the golf courses. But uh, so that I'm terrible at bowling, and again, like all like anything else that involves like chucking a ball or something at something else, I'm pretty good at. I can't bowl for some reason. Just terrible awful bowler and golfer so those are the two things that i'm not uh not high on my list
1: no and i raised my eyebrows Alan, because uh you're you're 100 correct like uh so i lived in south korea for 13 months and the only golf courses really in that kind of terrain are only on military bases and of course we we've only occupied that country for uh f- since 1953 right and so um, but the really huge moment happened at the Masters this year with the first Japanese male who won the Masters, which was really significant and it was really awesome to see and just it was a beautiful display of of great golf and, and determination. So um, you know, uh it you know, love seeing more folks getting into golf. But yeah, it is the most frustrating sport probably of all time. You know why they call it golf, right? I don't. All the other four letter words were already taken. So that, was, <laughs> that was the only one left
3: there's, a, there's that great robin williams bit about the invention of golf and that that bit like growing that you talk about things that shaped comedy for me that bit was one of them but disc golf like, disc golf is free right yeah, yeah there's no that this country i don't have to get dressed up and you know there's i've been there's every time i go disc golf, there's some dude sitting on a bench that offers me any type of drug i could possibly want <laughs> I like, seriously, God, that really happened. And God, Hey, you want some gummies? I'm like, you don't even know me. It's in the middle of a pandemic. This is like months ago. And I'm like, you want me oh, to they smoke don't... out of your pipe? We not even, yes. I haven't even left my house in three weeks.
2: I mean, honestly, God, you might've convinced me to try uh, disc golf. Alan, and that, I think that way, right? You're right. That's, you're, uh, you're you're talking my language. Now I,
3: uh... $13 disc. And you do some mushrooms and go walk around in the woods, man. It's great. It's a good time for everybody. Exactly.
2: Uh, so, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Robin Williams earlier as, as well. We'll kind of talk, get back in, into comedy here a little bit. But, um, you know, again, obviously one of, one of the greats and, and one, of, one of an influence for, I think, a, a lot of comics. I mean, who, who were your, your biggest influences growing up? I know you mentioned Howie Mandel earlier as well
3: uh Chappelle was huge for me I think I was I was in college when Chappelle show was coming out before that I had seen Killing Them Softly um and that was huge influence especially what he was doing with racial commentary that was something that I started to that without kind of without knowing it that's what I started to do when I when I first came up um so he was a he was a big one as I kind of developed into it. Uh, Bill Burr, for sure. Um, Some of his early things had his albums. Greg Giraldo was uh, absolutely one of my favorites. And having been a guy who's been on some of the local roasts, like I watch him and it's just like, it's like watching Jordan, you know, you're playing at your YMCA and watching Jordan to warm up. Um, so Greg Giraldo was another one before, you know, prior to that, like I said, Eddie Murphy, uh, delirious, that was probably the first comedy special that I had. Um, I think I had illegally bootlegged it and, uh, brought it along on my high school tennis trips. We used to, me and my buddies used to listen to it on the way to, (laughs) they still talk about it. Remember when you snuck Eddie Murphy into our hotel room at our tennis tournament? Like, so those, (laughs) those are probably the ones that, uh, that
2: Oh shit. So tennis too. I mean, you, I mean, you, you do every, every sport. I mean, is (laughs) is there, is there any, any sports uh, in in particular that if, if you could go pro, I guess in in any sport, what, what would it be?
3: Man, it's a heck of a, that's a heck of a question at this point in my life. It might it might be disc golf or pickleball. Those are the two things that I play <laughs> the most, but they, I think I just saw, and and listen, I used to want to play in the NFL for my whole life. And then you see these guys, what they're like after they're done playing. And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know about that anymore, you know? And uh, these disc golfers, I just saw Paul McBeth, who was the best disc golfer in the world. I think he signed, a, he signed like a, over a million dollar contract this year. What, what, Dave, do you know what the actual number was?
1: It was, God, it was over a million but yeah he's incredible like i watch his
3: youtube videos he's incredible he's a lot of fun to watch no doubt so if you can if i could make a million dollars to play disc golf or you'd offer me like five million dollars to go play in the nfl and have some 300 pound guy run through my chest probably out there on the course with paul so it might it might be <laughs> disc golf at that point, right? <laughs> that's
2: fair that's fair
3: yeah. although tennis players make a ton of money too and don't have a ton, a ton of wear and tear on their body. So I guess the question is just be a pro or like be the best pro. Cause if I could be Roger Federer, I'd be that guy in a minute. It makes that guy probably makes $6 million off of just selling his watches.
1: I think the biggest thing is just being marketable. Right. So when we comes when it comes to comedians, like there are folks that get sponsored and I mean, live off those sponsorships, which is great, but how do you, Alan, and i'm wondering this because i i have kids as well and john has kids that he doesn't know about or pays for but like how do you how do you bring them along with with athletics and um h- how do you do the comedy at night dad by day piece how's that balance going
3: oh man so do a lot less comedy than ever before and even when i had my first he's seven now so seven years ago definitely took a dip in i got more selective before that it was like anything that a booker would email me yes give me that I'll drive to brookings south Dakota for 150 dollars and then after that <laughs> uh it was you know <laughs> let's let's be selective about this year because i was running myself into the ground um I, we this was kind of a half joke but every year me and my wife would say like during laugh fest the week of laugh fest we would like Get to the brink of divorce every time because I was gone. <laughs> oh no, every night. So, laugh fest is also during daylight savings time where you go forward. So, not only was I out till two in the morning, I'd come home and it would say three in the morning, and I'd have a crying baby. And I have to get up the next morning and do whatever the next laugh fest thing was. So, yes, it, cha- it changes things for sure. So, I've gotten more selective. Um, things that are local, things that are worth the money, or just opportunities that I, I could pass up, opening for somebody or being in front of somebody that could help me. Otherwise, other than that, like I'm doing the whole like one nighter, if it's a one nighter, it better be within like three hours of here or I'm probably not doing it. And that's not wow. anything against those gigs, it's just life lifestyle, right? So bringing them along in sports, it's funny that you say that because I'm coaching my son in soccer right now. And I don't know jack about soccer. I got talked into doing it by my neighbor <laughs> who played college soccer. He was like, come help me coach. You can get the fee waived if you coach. And I'm like, okay, I said, I don't, know any, first thing, I don't know the first thing about soccer. And he says, I know all, I play college soccer. You just help me keep the kids in line, keep them motivated or whatever. And then, you know, two days before the first practice, hey man, wife tested positive for COVID, so I'm not coming to practice. I oh, guess you got to run this. So I go to practice. ball we're we're scrimmaging the ball rolls out of bounds and I literally don't know I'm like I don't know what happens now do you kick this in do you throw it in do you put oh I have no idea what happens I go home and google like all the rules of soccer so I've changed it's funny because if you had talked to 17 year old Alan and he would be like my son's playing football he's going to be the best damn kid out there I'm going to run him you know he's going to run 40s in our backyard <laughs> Every day. And uh now I'm like, I can't believe that I ever thought that. I'm like, I'm just happy he's doing something. Just do something, just get get your energy out, make some friends. I really don't care like what like how good he is. I just hope he I just I'm glad he's playing.
1: Absolutely. It's so funny that you mentioned that. So I was also a soccer coach and I I hate soccer. I think it's the worst sport that's ever been created. <laughs> And uh, luckily, though, my daughter, my oldest daughter was was in soccer with a uh, coach who uh, played soccer at Western Michigan University. So I would sit there with a notepad and I would draw out the drills that she was having the kids do. And I would mimic those drills. And finally, she came up. She was like, what are you doing with your notepad? I'm like, oh, I'm just copying all this because I have to coach my youngest daughter. And I don't know. She's like, I'll email them to you. (laughs) Like, it's fine.
3: Yeah, they're all on YouTube. (laughs) They really are. so the only thing I know about soccer knew about soccer was like Brazil is really good right so I googled like Brazilian youth team like what are they doing over there and I watched (laughs) this training video and these kids are unbelievable I was like these kids are five and they're like doing these unbelievable dribbling drills I was like okay maybe we're just gonna i'm just gonna run them the whole first practice that's what we're gonna do we're gonna be really in shape (laughs)
0: sprints
3: mr (laughs) allen doesn't know coach allen doesn't know the rules so we're just gonna run for an hour
2: (laughs) can you guys do that yeah okay uh (laughs)
3: um well
2: dave now is, is trying to get his his daughters uh into into fighting he's working with his his neighbor who's uh an mma uh uh veteran um is that something you would ever uh, get your kids into or 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 is that not something that you want them doing like' MMA so I'm type a of- huge
3: I'm a huge boxing fan and I watch MMA nice. and I tried boxing a little bit here and there like I went to a boxing gym for exercise and then wound up like sparring a little bit and quickly realized like this might be a bad idea <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you go, you don't even get like, I never really got hit that hard, but you go home and I'm like, I'm a little dizzy from this. I can only imagine what it would be like to get punched by somebody, not not the accountant that I'm sparring over here. Like I can only imagine <laughs> what that would be like. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say probably not. Like we've talked about some martial arts or some things like that I know about MMA, especially after, after I just watched uh, Weedman's leg break oh. over the weekend. It's like, <laughs> yeah. That's enough to be like, I. Uh, that's enough for me to, I don't know if I like every time that I, I imagine that every time I kicked even the bag, I would just be like looking down at my leg, making sure it was still there.
2: Uh, <laughs> right. that, oh my gosh. That looks so bad. That was, that was disgusting, but it was also cool at the same time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's great, man. Um, uh, so uh, again, kind of talking, talking comedy a little bit here, switch gears a, a little bit. Um, You've been doing this for for ten years. How has how has your own personal style uh, developed and, and changed over over the last decade?
3: Yeah. Well, for one thing, I would like to think I'm less hacky. <laughs> Where you start, <laughs> it's just like it's like the whole act is about you know sex or me being Asian. And then after a while, I'm like I, I used to have a an institute a rule of like okay out of your out of your 10 minutes, like I had a 50% rule, 50% or less of the act has to be a punchline about you being Asian. It can't be a hundred percent, right? Like it's such an easy deal. So eventually I had to put limits on myself of like, okay, don't, you can't go overboard with this. And so over the years, I'd like to think that I've developed that way. So it's become more family oriented for sure. It's about what's going on in my world with kids and my wife and all that sort of thing. I think I've gotten better at performing. I wasn't I wasn't like a very good performer when I started. I could write, I felt like I was a good writer, but I couldn't perform for shit. And like, I just didn't have, I, I just thought like what I'm writing is funny, so I don't need to do anything more than just say this. I always felt like you get the thought in your head that if I'm really acting this out, or I think I it was, it was around that period where Dane Cook started getting a bunch of hate, right? For being like way over the top, and they would say like oh, he's kind of a douchebag and he's way too like hyper. It's high energy. He's acting things out, and people sort of like rebelled against that style of comedy. And so I went the opposite. Of like, well, I don't want to be viewed like that. I'm gonna go super low key, and it was having I had to kind of find a middle ground because I wat, would watch myself on video and then go like, oh, I'm actually pretty boring. I need to need to pick this up.
2: That's that's great. Um so you as well, Alan, are are known as uh, perhaps the the roast battle king in, king. The, Grand Rap- in the Grand Rapids the We're you know, winning them left and right. What's what's your secret? What what when you go into a, a roast, what do you
3: look for? What do you look to do? man i don't know if i want to tell people my secrets (laughs)
1: because you look like such a nice guy like you're so mild-mannered you have a beautiful family like how can you cut so deep
3: so the thing is first of all i am a nice guy uh somebody said that to me recently i was at some (laughs) show and i did an act and they're like i've never seen your act before like you, you got a good Act of seeing you at the roast battles, I just thought you were a giant asshole. And I'm like, wait, what? And Mike Logan said <laughs> that to me because people ask, people ask, Mike said, like, people ask me all the time, is Alan a nice guy? And he's like, I'm the nicest guy. He brought Mike, Mike a Ghostbusters car for, for nothing earlier this year. And so he's such people always ask him that. And I'm like, damn, like, that kind of hurts, you know, like, but uh, so I think that the thing from watching Geraldo and those guys, like, the great roasters, the thing that they do is like, it's not just, it can't just be like a attack on the person. It's still got to be a well-crafted bit. You know, your fat doesn't work, right? Like there has to be some craft there. And there has, to, and what Geraldo was really great at was working in references, right? Things that people knew about that person or referencing other people on the panel or referencing other things. There was, there was always like real, like, craft, for lack of a better word, I guess I can't think of a better word than craft right now, but like there was there was always like, a there's real joke writing behind the roast. So I think sometimes people think roasting is just a, going right at the person. And I think there still has to be writing involved there. And so I, I've always tried to kind of make it a bit, like, like imagine this is going in your act, but you're talking about the person. So there's gotta be a setup and a punchline and a reference. It can't just be, you know, making fun of their shirt or something like that,
1: right? Right, absolutely. Ooh, that's perfect advice. I haven't done any roast battles, but that's uh, one thing I want to get into. I got to roast a Grand Rapids comedian, and I thought that was, that was a. it's a great opportunity to write differently because I come across as a cleaner comic, and I know I, I've seen you perform, and you do come across as a cleaner comic as well. So does that, do you think that gives you an advantage in those roast battles?
3: Yeah, maybe. I, I, yeah, I think there was one there was one roast battle where I don't know that I, I don't think I cussed. You know, I said some said some some pretty mean things, but you know, I don't think it has to be super over the top offensive either. So it can be um, it can be a funny joke without. I, I think sometimes that that has have seen that happen in the roast battles where people get too mean or it goes too extreme, and you kind of lose the audience that way. So, um, or you actually, like, I never actually want the person to feel bad is the thing, right? I want them to be able to laugh at it and go like, that was, you got me, right? Like, those are the best ones about me that people have said is, and I'm like, ha, now that's, okay, you got me on that. You're definitely right about that. You know, I am like that. So that, those, so I, yeah, I've never tried to, I don't, I don't know that it's an advantage, but I definitely don't try to write to be like dirty or super offensive in those things
1: that's a really unique perspective. I love the way you attack that.
3: Like I had to go, I've had to go against Chad Schultz three times. Right, <laughs> right. Chad's an awesome dude. And he's like, such a good I'm dude. Like, he's a great dude. Yeah. I'm like, Oh man, every time I would draw him, I was like, God, I got to squash this guy again. Damn it all. <laughs> and this, this is funny because I felt so bad. Uh, about what I said about him in the first roast, that he did some fundraiser right, for the National Federation of the Blind. I told my wife, like, I'm about to give this guy a bunch of money. <laughs> I gave him a bunch. Of, I donated a bunch of money because I felt <laughs> so shitty after the roast battle. um So he was super appreciative, of course. And then so I'm like, okay, that's the end of it. Never do that again. Next roast, I draw Chad. I'm like, damn it.
2: <laughs>
3: you know? All right.
2: So I, I gotta know, Alan. This is this is maybe kind of a, a two parter, but I, I want to know. Number one, what's the best roast joke that you've ever written or or done? And number two, what's the best roast joke that anyone's ever done about you, uh, in your opinion?
3: Okay, so I can definitely think of the best one written about me. Johanna Madranda in the Laugh Fest final said, uh, "Do you ever get tired of being mistaken for that bitch that broke up the Beatles?"
2: that's that's a good one so here's
3: another roast battle strategy before I roast battle I think about all of the things that I think they're going to say about me and I write rebuttals for all of them Nice. so there's nothing that anybody can say that I am not ready for and it'll sound like it's off the cuff because I know the things that are going to attack about me that one had no response for I was pretty ready to lose The (laughs) one I'm I'm gonna lose this and so that one went then went into a playoff it was so it was tight and so we had one joke we had a one joke off like a one joke extra Yeah. yeah that was uh that was and she wasn't ready so she didn't have another joke I didn't have another joke either but she she went first and didn't have another joke and then so then this joke is probably this is potentially the best one that I came up with because this is this was off because so I just said like, hey, you know, Johanna's is um, this roast battle for her was a lot like Hillary Clinton's campaign because it sort of peaked in the middle, petered out towards the end. And she's about to lose to somebody with small hands.
1: Oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Nice. Yeah. So that one there was. Uh, yeah, there's there's been a couple Oh, Kyra Williams and I love Kyra too. She, and I always say her name wrong. I think it's, I think it's Kyra. Kara. Kara, yeah. Kara. Kara Williams. I know I screwed yeah. it up in the laugh fest intro too. She said, um, she had a good one. She said, she said, uh, Alan has a like a cute family. Such an adorable family. I would want a family like that, except it would force me to do the one thing that I would never do. Fucking Asian guy. <laughs>
1: wow. Oh, which shit. is a great. This yeah. is a great joke, right?
3: <laughs> so my rebuttal to that and i was ready for this i was like i know this is going to come up at some point in the night so my rebuttal was uh we don't want to have anything to do with you either in fact our people built the railroads and we still wouldn't run the train on you
0: oh my
3: god
2: (laughs) that's solid
3: (laughs) oh my god yeah but
1: you're such a nice guy
3: (laughs) but the thing is though i like maybe this is like the era that we grew up in right people were breaking each other's balls all the time like I grew up playing sports like back on the bus it was like survival yeah. method for me right locker room all that stuff so I've never and my buddies still do it to me all the time so I never really viewed it as like we're being mean I'm like we're just kind of breaking each other's balls and then we're gonna going hang out after this and then I realized after a few roast battles that oh like people actually think I'm super mean <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm just—if any of them are watching this—I have nothing against any of you. Please invite me on your podcasts uh, <laughs> and your open mics. I'd love to do them. <laughs> Great, that's awesome. Uh, so, uh, what
2: what what does um, what is your your uh, comedy career look like from from here, Alan? I obviously been been doing it for ten years. Um, what what's your your next step? What's your your ultimate goal with it?
3: Yeah, I think everybody wants to, um, everybody's got big hopes and dreams, right? My uh, immediate, like, bucket list item is just to do stand-up on, on TV in some capacity. I'd love to get on, like, a late-night show. That's, like, the ultimate yeah. Hail Mary, you know, if, if it can happen. I'm pretty happy, like, my kids are going to be in school next year, and I'm going to be able to get back on the road and start getting around, start touring again, start writing, stuff for now now that the album's out get rid of that hopefully and get into a new 45 to an hour here so just want to get that out there and i'm i'm happy in my day job happy with my family happy with my comedy career so now it's just get out there and hope something crazy happens right person sees me who knows what happens but if that doesn't happen and i'm still just touring around the midwest and i'm i'm still you know doing one-nighters in Wisconsin in 10 years I'll probably be pretty happy with that as long as I'm still keeping the day job right so at that point now it's just like I said hope hope to catch light, lightning in a bottle and get lucky and be seen I've done a couple of auditions here and there at auditioned for like an NBC stand-up for diversity and some of those things nice. um hasn't gone my way but just you know keep doing some things like that and see if it see if it works out
1: that's incredible. I'm, I love that you brought up your writing style. So do you write on stage? Do you write at, like, how does that work? Um, I'm pretty choreographed and so is John, but I've seen people write while they're on stage. And I think that's incredible. Are you a mixture of both or what's
3: your style? Yeah, I've tried to sit down and write things. Right. And I don't know that I've ever a bit has ever actually made it into my act that I sat down, opened up word and started writing things. I, I don't, I can't do it that way for some reason. It's always things that pop in my head a lot of the time while I'm driving or I'm in the shower or just places where I have my brain back to myself. Like, you know, this from having kids, like somewhere where my brain, it belongs to only me at that point. Yes. And I type them in my phone. That's my, I have a note file of all of the things that I come up with and I write the topic out. And then I just start kind of, I have to kind of perform it in my head. So I do, it's sort of like writing on stage, but not actually being on stage. And then I have to go try Then I go try it immediately and I don't write anything down and just, just say the things that you thought of on the drive to this show and then see wow. if it works or not. And then I sort of fix it up from there. But I've never written out any of like any, all the bits that are on my album. I don't have those like typed out somewhere. I've never written something out in its entirety. That's incredible. That's such a, like a, a, list. Such a gutsy like a, move. Yeah, I have like a topics list. Wow. That's... I don't even know that it, I, it, I can like take saying it that it's gutsy because I don't know how to do it any other way. Like that's just what works for me. I'm probably that's... missing things by like not writing them out and then reading <laughs> them and, you know, revising them and doing all the things that they tell you to do when you're in school and they're teaching you how to write. But <laughs> I can't I
0: can't do it that way.
3: I write in the back of the club a lot too, because you hear other people perform and you're not like you're taking their stuff, but just seeing somebody up there, like I, that's some, something kind of like flips the switch in me. Once I go to a stand-up show of like, okay, I, this is the type of thing that I could write, or this is, you were get reminded of joke structures and stuff. And so like sometimes that, especially cause I'm, I don't have the, that's the sucky thing about my day job and family is like, I don't get to go hang out at shows a lot. So I'm sometimes like completely removed from comedy, and then I step back into the world, and I need to go to a show in order for my brain to even start thinking that way again.
2: Absolutely, man. Now, now, I mean, one of the, one of the things that I think is is uh, the bane of, of any comics existence uh, is, is hecklers, right? Uh, they are they're, uh, can be a real pain in the ass, but especially someone like like yourself, Alan, who is. Uh, for lack of a better term, uh, the, the roast master of, of Grand Rapids. Um, wh- what is that experience like? I want to know the the best heckler experience that you've ever
3: had, where you just kind of totally owned somebody and, and owned the room. So I used to be scared to death of hecklers when I started. I think everybody probably is to an extent, right? I wasn't ready for it at that point, and I hadn't uh, developed the roasting stuff yet. So I was I was just this like very nice college kid who didn't want to have to deal with it, right? And the, it's the worst when you let a heckler win. So that was what I was scared of. Is like, if somebody says something and I'm not ready, I'm gonna let this person win and it's gonna ruin the show. Um, and then I did a show at, it was at Pentwater, this basement, Pentwater uh, pub, which is actually a village pub in Pentwater, which is actually a really good show. And these people, <laughs> ha- these people heckled me horribly. And it just, I snapped that night and I went off on these people and it got this huge response And I got off stage. And I thought like, this is, this is like a big moment for me. I almost point to that exact show as when I got confident in comedy because I thought like, well now I used to worry about it the whole time. Like, is somebody gonna say something to me? I was scared to talk to the audience because I thought it might open up something that I was even if you're not getting heckled but you say something to somebody and you don't have a punchline then your crowd work sucks, right? Like, and so right. I, I was I was scared of running into those dead ends, and after that, I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to, uh, I'm fine now. But I don't have a good heckler story. I I haven't been heckled that much. Like I don't know what it is. May I, I don't have no idea. People uh, people ask me like these all the time. I don't. Yeah, like I guess.
0: <laughs> I think the biggest thing is
3: to start strong. I think if people like smell Why? blood in the water, like right. that was something I learned super early, is that like, because I had a couple of good jokes. I had like five good people. they were asking me. I was, when I first started featuring, I had like 10 minutes of good jokes and 20 minutes of filler. But the smart thing that I did was I put a really good five at the front and a really good five at the end. So you start well, people don't. People are like, okay, but this guy's funny. I need to listen to him. And then you end on something funny. They re- They leave on that. They remember that. And so I think starting strong has been huge because it also lets people, for one, it lets people know they should listen to you and not interrupt the show. And two, you, it kind of makes you feel like confident. And I think you project that a little bit. So, you know, people talk during the show, there's been little things here and there, but no real bad heckler stories. That's awesome. I love that. That's public
1: speaking 101, right? They're going to remember 90% of the first thing you said and the last thing you said. So I love that joke structure that, that you came up with. And um, I do have to ask you, so you you did mention that you do a lot of life stories, especially with your wife and your kids. My ex-wife's not a huge fan of the jokes I put her in, uh, but your wife's okay with it.
3: My wife is awesome about it, to be (laughs) honest with you, yeah. And she met me when I was already starting to do comedy. One of the first times that, and I do not even know that we had really been dating yet. But there was a, it was when it, things were just starting. One of the first times she ever saw me on stage was at the roast of Stu McAllister. We roasted Stu. Oh, God.
2: Like, wow. this is not, well, we've been
3: married for almost 10 years. So this has to be like 12 years ago. It was the first roast I think they had done at Dr. Grin's and found me at that. And then I had done stand up, you know, she had seen me do stand up else. Actually, this is a funny story. The second last Laker standing, when I won it, the second uh, part of that, she was there for a journalism class and wrote, um, wrote an article for the class about that I'm in and said that my act was so like racially and sexually motivated that she wasn't even sure if she should be laughing at it. Oh my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> We have that article. She wrote that. We didn't meet for another probably three years after that. We have the <laughs> article. out. <laughs>
1: That's incredible. What changed her mind? I mean, mm. obviously you're amazing. We get it. But what changed your mind? How do you come back from that?
3: I think what changed her mind is that she didn't realize it was the same guy until it was too late. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, wait till you see this article about this
1: idiot that I wrote about a bunch of years back. And you're like, mm.
3: <laughs> um, so she she's like, she's actually a funny person herself who has helped like write a couple of punchlines and tags for me. I only know that because she reminds me every damn time I tell those jokes. Um, but I run them by her. She's also t- <laughs> you know, she used to travel around. Uh, I went around with Floyd J. Phillips a lot. Um, rest oh, in peace, okay. Floyd. Yeah. He, I traveled a ton with him and she used to go on the road trips with us. So she would go city to city and watch all this comedy to the point where she, I think, kind of got developed a sense of like what was working for me and what wouldn't. So. Every time I still, when I write a new bit now, like today, I said, like, I just wrote this. What do you think of it? And she'll go, she'll give me the whole yay or nay or the. Knees work.
1: (laughs) That's awesome to have a partner of crime like that, though.
3: She's kind of a brutal critic, but yeah, I I kind of, uh, (laughs) it's better. It's better than having somebody who doesn't, who doesn't care or who would say, like, I can't imagine. I don't know that I could be married to somebody who would say like, you can't that joke's really funny, but it's about me. So it can't go in the act. I, d- I don't think that that would, I don't know that that would fly. Cause you know that like, it's hard to write good bits. So when I write one of a f- about her, if she was ever like, you can't use that. I'm like, no, I need these. I need the time here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. I need this. <laughs> John, we probably uh, got room for one more question or we can run into socials. I was saying, think? I think
2: we're, we're running up against the hour here. Uh, but uh, Alan, first of all, again, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Uh, learned a lot tonight and uh, very entertaining, as, as always. Um, before we get the hell out of here, do you want to tell people uh, where they can find you on social media? Uh, obviously, plug your album if you got anything coming up.
3: Yeah, so uh, Alan True on Facebook, if you want to go there. Alan B. True on Instagram. A lot of pictures of my kids and stuff like that. There's a little <laughs> bit of comedy seeps in. Alan B. True on Twitter, as well as my comedy handle. Alan True, just my name, is my sports handle, so whatever you just if you like football recruiting you go to that one uh and then maybe i'll maybe i'll have to start a disc golf one here if I, my scores keep getting any better yes. at all right the album <laughs> is called right. cry for help it's on uh it's on itunes it's on uh it's on amazon music it's on all of those things it's also somebody also ripped it and put it on youtube so if you're cheap go ahead and go <laughs> go just watch it on there <laughs> uh, That's
2: it's funny uh david where can where can people find you my friend Yeah, I'm
1: CGM, uh, which is Chubby Guy Mafia Comedy on Instagram, TikTok, and of course, Twitter, and just plain old David Steves. And if Alan ever comes down to Kalamazoo, I will buy his round of disc golf because it's all free.
3: (laughs) You know what? We should do like a, you know, like a comedians in cars getting coffee. We should take comics disc golfing. And they're oh, all that would suck. be a lot of fun and we should record them and we should talk oh, about comedy God. while we're walking through the disc golf course they're gonna they're gonna throw you know all these comics are gonna chuck it into the woods but it's gonna be awesome it'll be fun. It will be a lot of
1: fun. and a lot of the comics already partake in what most disc golfers partake.
2: In. I was gonna say there, there's already a drug problem <laughs> in the community anyway, David
3: uh, and Allen, I don't know if we really want to accentuate that, but uh... <laughs> but at least we're taking those we're taking those pothead comics out of the community and putting them out in the public parks. Yeah. <laughs> so we're putting them out in the woods.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's
1: a need for more outdoorsy stuff. That's, that's, fair. Right.
3: that's fair. If you're going to be on shrooms, what better place to be than in nature?
1: I'll have to take your word for it. You raise a I've valid
3: you- <laughs> you think hey, the, John- you, there's oh. times where I think the basket is like a giant worm that's eating my disc, but other than that, like the shrooms are great. It's a good time. Like,
1: yeah. dude, it totally got it. That's awesome. That's a birdie.
3: Yeah, the, the, this, it
1: got the the chains. Got it. It's a birdie. <laughs> John, how about you? Where can people find you, my friend?
2: I'm uh, I'm at the John Batch on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can follow the show as well at goodvsevil on Facebook, at @goodvsevil podcast on Instagram, uh, goodevilpodcast.com for all the bonus YouTube uh, footage uh, or uh, clips as well. Um, uh, I, I, as always want to remember uh, we've got the, the summer series coming up with uh, with the production company so um, we're going to be in Portage on May 20th, uh, Walker on uh, June you're going to kill me, David. June 17th, is that? Sounds good. June 17th, right? Uh, in Rockford on, <laughs> on uh, July 15th yes. and uh, again at Millennium Park in Grand Rapids on the 19th of 19th, August. Yeah. Uh, all tickets can be purchased at DementedPeach.com slash tickets. Uh, Alan, once again, thank you so much for, for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure, an absolute blast. Uh, this has been Good versus Evil, a comic discussion of the end times. As always, i the good side of things, David Steves. And I am the evil side, John Batch. Enjoy the rest of your day. This
0: is good versus evil.